Hi, I'm Scott. And I am Seth. And this is Track Walking. A special episode. Yeah, it is a special episode. Oh, wait. I'm, so, I'm so excited. I forgot. Wait. Were you dimming the lights? I already, blew the, I already blew my candle out. I thought that was like the romantic It thing. was. Seth baked us a cake, um, but only one of us gets to eat it. So <laughs> It's a geography thing. It is. Sweet gesture. Um, is watching me eat cake really, does really, that make you feel better? I really want cake now. <laughs> I'm having a beer. So Seth brought cake with an actual candle on top lit, ready to go. I cracked a beer open, and uh, this is how we're going to do this show. But we're both celebrating. So this is our this is roughly our one ish year anniversary of track walking. We pretty close made it through a year, and uh, the relationship is still good. Yeah. Wait, and, are you uh, asking? I think yeah. <laughs> we're are we okay? Are we good? I think yeah. I think we're okay. Is this the I think breakup episode? No, I don't. That would be pretty dramatic, wouldn't it? <laughs> Happy anniversary. It's you. It's not me. So yes. we uh, kind of wanted, I guess I want to circle. Let's do a retrospective here. So okay. not a whole lot of people, uh, as evidenced by one of the Facebook topics, uh, actually listened to the first episode, but that's okay. Um, it's been a year. Things have come out since then. Um, the reason why Seth and I created this weird show um, is because we had met each other on the One Lap and had kind of started talking about just life stuff pretty pretty early on. And in our conversations, which largely at the time happened on Facebook Messenger, we were just looking at the different ways that things, how real life influenced racing and kind of came up with this hypothesis. Could it actually be the other way around too? Can racing actually affect life um, as we change things in our racing prep uh, mindset, training, all that stuff? Can that actually have an impact on life? Um, what do you think, Seth? Yeah. Point. Yeah. Point. I, I think. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um. <laughs> in in the last, I think a lot of it depends on implementation. Like, if we just talk about it and then go about our lives the same way, then I don't think the hypothesis holds true. But we actually have to be conscious of the fact that we are improving ourselves as a whole person whenever we improve ourselves. Yeah. Can these silos that we think that we have, you know, we've got our work life, we've got our personal relationship life, we've got our racing life and any other lives that we have. And as much as some folklore says that we can just operate these independently of one another. I think that's a bunch of baloney. 
And um, yeah, that's all I got. But say I think about the more I think the more aware of that are the, we are, um, the more effective that becomes. Yes. Um, and it also um, simplifies things to some extent because I can I can make myself better organized in one part of my life and hope that it bleeds across so I don't have to be trying to apply, like consciously trying to apply these same things across all of my life, hopefully. Um, saves bandwidth, that kind of thing. Yeah, and I think it just allows it to be more of a tool instead of, yeah, just kind of wandering through and having little hits here and there that you can actually kind of go into it whether it's racing or, you know, anything that you're doing outside of racing, that you can actually go into it knowing that this will affect the other avenues in your life and use that for good, not evil. Hopefully. Yeah. That brings me to the one thing that, like, literally the one thing I'm going to bring to the show tonight. You've got a whole list of things because you're more prepared than me. Well, you brought cake. I did bring cake, but only for me. This is something I brought for both of us, and that's that's the the question of of posed to you earlier. So you like had homework for this. Do you can you think of two things that the show has taught you or brought to your life or that sort of thing? Yeah, you asked Because hopefully, hopefully the show made you better, right? Like we spent a year doing this and it wasn't just a complete waste of time, hopefully. I think if nothing else, I think it's made me become more aware of how interconnected uh, who I am and what I do is across all avenues of my life. Um. I mean, I can actually laugh about the fact now that my approach to building a car and learning how to drive is very similar to whenever I go and look for a new pair of bed sheets. Um, lots of research. Uh, <laughs> second guessing your lots, decisions. At least lots of second guessing. Um, you know, comparisons all that stuff so it's i'm i feel like i'm able to laugh about it a little bit more instead of like being frustrated that you know why am i like this here it's like of course i am it's like have you seen the rest of me (laughs) this is true yeah um so i think if nothing else just kind of giving voice to to how i am everywhere um i think has been helpful especially for this season because this season has been uh traumatic in many ways uh very good in others but it's been notable uh saying uh, a lot today that's because i'm making you think usually you're yeah. you're like prepared and i'm the one saying uh because i have no idea what's going on uh but just being able to say out loud that after this happened, I was stressed. And it's like, of course I'm stressed. That's how I am when something, when a wrench gets thrown into my life. So 
my hope is that awareness is kind of the first and full, like becoming very aware of that in all avenues is one of the first steps to actually uh, being able to make long-term sustainable changes for the better, um, for a healthier version of me. And I think that will be good. So, yeah. That's really only one thing. I asked for two. Yes. <laughs> okay, I'm going to do my first thing then. Yeah. And I'll, as we do this, I'll let you think about it so I can think. So, Perfect. My, my first thing is that uh, has to do with um, talking to, interviewing as many people as we have. And it has made me acutely aware that everyone is trying to get better. Um, and it, it maybe they're trying to get better at different things. Um, some people are, you know, doing personal growth. Some people are just trying to get faster on track, but it, there's a, there's a human struggle for, I look at my life and I try to fix something. I try to make something better. And I think everybody's doing that all the time. And because we don't have those conversations with people, normally our, our day-to-day conversations are fairly light, fairly flippant. We don't, we're, we're not aware of that, that self-improvement struggle that people apparently have all the time. Because every time we ask somebody, every time we interview somebody, interview somebody they have a thing that they're trying to be better at. Um, and it's so the only conclusion I can draw from that is basically everybody is trying to be a better version of themselves in some way pretty much all the time. Yeah, nobody is how they want to be. Yeah, that's better phrasing. Get t- get that on a t-shirt. That's that's deep. Yeah. It's heavy. <laughs> um second thing. I honestly don't know. Okay, then I'll do my second thing. Other than like how good I'm getting at editing. But you haven't edited anything. Oh no, you did do that one show that was spliced perfectly. I did two shows. Yeah. Last last one was with Viet too, but um Yeah, but that's sort of a skill you had to develop because we're bad at things. So I mean whatever. (laughs) Try trial by (laughs) fire, man. (laughs) Not anyway, what's your second thing? My second thing has to do with... You actually with put the, some thought into this. I know. I've been thinking about it all day because I've just been... Because uh, I didn't actually want to do real work around the house. So I've just been thinking about this. So my second thing comes largely from you, Scott. It's mm-hmm. it's from you and a combination of other things I've heard. And so uh, I can tell you you're pretty. But I can't make you feel beautiful. Yeah. Okay. That the, the the second part of it is uh is you. Yeah. And and the more I interact with you, the more I realize that compliments to Scott are basically meaningless because Scott's self-worth comes from Scott. And I think all of us have that uh 
<laughs> mostly to a lesser extent because you're a special person. <laughs> but um, it could be to a greater or lesser extent. But, um, you know, the the act of, of affirming someone is not the same as them affirming themselves. And so you can have a person that is is very successful and you're like this guy's awesome and you think that and you say that or this this woman is is phenomenal look at the life she's leading but if they don't have a mechanism to provide that affirmation themselves um they don't see it the same way so they can they can have a huge void where you see a huge positive and and hopefully and part of that comes from the show. We have, you know, we have people tell us, ah, you're like, not a lot of people, but some people will, will be like, this show's doing really good, doing these phenomenal things. But you and I tend to, within our own world, go, eh, we're kind of crap. Dis- discount it immediately. Immediately, yeah. And so the, the affirmation, the idea that we are making a good show has eventually got to come from inside the two of us somehow. Yeah, and that's you know that's the lack of control and power that we have over most of the things that we do or interact with, even even sometimes within ourselves to a certain degree. And I I think it's worth noting that whether it's you or anybody else telling us anything, that it I don't think, and I I've heard this before it doesn't mean that your opinion is not worthwhile. It doesn't mean that you are unimportant because your compliment or comment uh, was not taken to heart. Yep. Please compliment our show. We do love it. It, It does. And like even getting compliments from you, from Becky, from anyone, uh, does mean something to me. Uh, it's helpful. It's it's a little bit of gas in the tank, but it's gas in the tank from where I am, not necessarily to where you are, if that makes sense. So yeah, there's yeah, that's interesting. I would agree with that. Yeah, so this is what I thought about today. That's why I didn't uh, pick up sticks in the yard because I was thinking about that. So I think one thing along those same lines that I'm still kind of working on is, you know, because I, I think I interact with more people who listen to the show in person than you do because absolutely because yeah. of the grid life people and one lap people I interact with is the number of people who say that they listen to the show and make some comments or like have thoughts of their own or share experiences and things like that. And it, it constantly is uh, surprising to me, I guess that people listen and genuinely consider what comes out of our weird little brains. And after the road America weekend where um, the GLTC drivers voted us again. Um, I think 
I think the way I'll put it, and this probably speaks to your number two, is I'm starting to become aware of my place in the grid life community. And I certainly wouldn't say like bigger or better than anybody else, but I'm certainly becoming aware of the fact that like there are some people who actually listen to what we say and the thoughts and ideas that we have. And that's strange because I, I remember going to grid life for the first time, not knowing anybody. And, um, definitely, I wouldn't say feeling like I was on the outside, but certainly feeling like I was the new guy and I'm, I'm not really the new guy anymore. And, um, so I hope to be the person that me as a new guy, um, that I would help him or her to feel welcome and invited and worthwhile in the grid life community and the one lab community as well. Driving writ large, really everywhere, everywhere, Seth. Yeah. Um, everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. So I think the I've only I guess I've only really been to one Grid Life event. Um, we went to when I went to Gingerman, and you were there. And this is since the show has been doing stuff. And um, it occurred to me as we were talking to people, as I was talking to people, that the show has made you and I more public, not. I don't want to say famous because it's a dumb word, but we are more public than other people that may be there. Sure. Um, and that's, it's a, it's an odd thing. Um, Especially because that's not what I think I can speak for both of us. That's not what we're trying to get out of this. No, not absolutely not. Trying not to do <laughs> Seth and I constantly have the discussion, uh, not not even constantly, because it's an unspoken truth that um, marketing this show is just something that's deeply uncomfortable for both of us. Um, we don't want to spend money on marketing and branding and things like the sponsorship. Uh, it's just it's very, deeply, deeply strange to us. And we have had we have had a bunch of calls for from people who wish to support us um, in some way, and we appreciate like everyone who has said, "How can I support the show?" And we've said, "No, um, we we really really do appreciate that." Um, it's not you, it's us. We're weirdos, and we don't know how to deal with this yet. Yeah. Even one year in, we. Uh, we love you guys and you'll have to bear with us until we become less weird. Yeah. Yeah. The whole, uh, apex pro promo before, um, Midwest festival That's <laughs> basically, I mean, those people are our friends. They're like, Hey, would you mind helping us out? We're like, yeah. And you know, we got a free demo like anybody else who could have that weekend. I got a free visor sticker. Um, st stickers are cool. And yeah, I, I don't know. It's just us helping friends basically. 
and like a yeah yeah but but that's all oh hold on stuff they probably think because they're friends of yours they probably would have given you anyway probably so we had a few questions submitted uh because we asked for them really and I think some of them are going to be great for future topic ideas. Um, but the first one we got was, how do I gain confidence to corner faster? Seth? Yeah, bring that to me because I'm the guy who knows how to corner fast, which is totally not what's going on. Um, I think that um, there's a group of us that are are on the wrong side of the bell curve from like an intellectual, emotional, how we're wired standpoint for cornering fast. Um, and I don't want to say that like we're, we're scared because that's not really what's going on. Um, but I think as, as things get going really fast and the consequences get up there and there's maybe a, a processing bandwidth thing for people who do things intellectually, um, we tend to we tend to withdraw into a safer speed sooner than other people. And my my gut feeling is those of us who are like that are not the people who uh, inherently know how to do flips on BMX bikes and um, can immediately mogul ski and do all those those fast physical things immediately. We probably find ourselves as the kid who likes to ride BMX bikes and crashes while going off a ramp. And those sorts of things. And so um, I could be totally wrong with this and just projecting onto myself completely. No, but I think the whole comfort level thing is some people are comfortable on one side of traction than the other. I tend towards being more comfortable on the safe side of traction (laughs) where you have more of it. Um, and that's, I'm getting better, but it's, it's been a long process. The willingness to want to intentionally drive a little over the limits so that you can find where that limit actually is, or you may just find that by going faster, you still haven't found the limit. Right. And So I think the key to that for someone who's like, I need to go faster, especially when we still go go faster. I think most people have problems with like big, fast corners. Sure. Going fast in the fast places, Um, like those big, fast sweepers. Um, The people I know who have trouble going fast, those are the corners that they can clearly identify they have trouble with. Um, I think practice like I, I don't know any other way to do it than, than put yourself in that situation, uh, preferably with data, um, so that you can go back and look um, at comparing how you feel about a corner with what the data says about the corner, and then practice. Um, I've got I've got one corner at at the go kart track that I ride bikes on that it took me. I don't know, six months of trying before I could convince myself to hold the throttle open through this, this wide, fast corner. Um, I just couldn't make myself do it. 
until I had done, I don't know, a thousand laps at that speed. And then I did it And the bike. The bike didn't hold. The bike wiggles. Every time you go through there, the bike wiggles and it, and it shimmies. But you don't die. And the one thing I learned with that is once you get it, you get it. It's there. And, and then you can go build on that. But getting to that point is a practice thing and a confidence thing and a, being able to do it in a safe environment. Um, there's certainly places at, at Road America or NCM where you wouldn't want to try these things because the consequences are huge. But um, you get to a place like Gingerman and and push a little bit um, and practice and talk to your fast friends and look at data and I don't know. What's your advice, Scott? Like you're clearly super fast. So yeah, so fast. Um, I think it's going to depend on the type of learner that you are. If you are a kinesthetic learner, which basically means that your body has to experience something before you understand, then you need to go for a ride along. That could be, in somebody else's car you could drive someone else's car that is a faster car than yours more grip more downforce more power whatever so that when you go through whatever corner you're working on at a higher speed you're able to feel those g-forces you're able to feel the sensations very similar to if you were a visual person going through driving someone else's car or having a ride along at those speeds will calm your brain down once you figure out you're not going to die uh, if you go five miles an hour faster or maybe more maybe less whatever it is um but one of those one of those two um I think would be a good start. I think another one, if you have the ability to, would be to go to a different track completely. Especially if you have a limited track experience, uh, go somewhere else. Go somewhere that if you're trying to work on some high-speed corners, go to a track that has even faster high-speed corners. And even if you're under the limit there too, i bet you'll be able to come back to whatever track, whatever corner you're working on and be able to apply some of the things that you felt or experienced at that other track. That certainly has been the case for me. That, that goes back to when I, when I instructed autocross and when I was going back between autocross and track driving, I would have people where they asked me, they're like, what do I do now to get better? And I would say, go do a track day. Because once you go to a track day, there are no fast corners in autocross. Um, there's different degrees of slope. Not to make it, it easy, it's not easy, but there's no more fast corners because you've driven corners faster than this before. And so now every corner is within, is every one of them is within your window of comfort um, at that point. So um, yeah, without realizing it, I was doing that, doing that to people way back when. Yeah. Yeah, and that's, that's been something that's been fantastic for us from the one lap, especially because we're in the same car or we have been in the same car all this time. 
is we get to take this car and we experience one of the fastest corners in North America. And everything else was kind of, yeah, it's fine. It's not like this fast, but yeah, it's quick. Um, but everything in between, you know, we've been to Blackhawk a handful of times now where very slow, tight technical corners. Um, we've been to AMP and Hallett and all these tracks with tons of elevation. Um, so yeah, I mean, we certainly haven't been to some notable ones, but you know, we're, we're working on it. Getting I, there. Gateway, like I, uh, coming off the off the big track at Gateway to the infield. Bumpy. That's uh, it's bumpy. That's a thing. Yeah, yeah, that's a thing. Especially when you run out of uh, suspension droop travel and. Right. But yeah. then whenever anybody else asks you about bumps, they're like, oh, dude, bumps. You're like, no. no. I mean, it's bumpy, but it's not like yeah. bumpy. Yeah. Uh, another one, and I really wish more tracks had this, uh, would be to try to get to a skid pad. Skid pads are hugely helpful for such a variety of things. But just being able to be in a never-ending corner where you can really find the true limit and you're not going to hit anything. There's nobody around you except some cones and you can just feel what, what the car feels like when you give it a little bit more gas, what happens when you lift at this speed and this radius um, helps you with your car setup, your awareness, just being more comfortable and programming those sensations into your body are hugely helpful. Um, I really wish more tracks had these because it would be quite helpful, I think. What's the biggest skid pad you've been at? Like Tyrek. Tyrek's pretty much Is the it? only skid pad I've been on. So I was at kind of at two of them at the the BMW Center in California. Yeah. Um and one of them was the polished skid pad, which was amazing because you had you had basically no grip. So it wasn't quite like driving on ice because the, the, the service was pretty consistent, but it was just phenomenal to drive on. I, I wish every place had a polished skid pad. And then cool. we did a few other um, exercises out on their, their the, the spot they have to test things on is just enormous, like, like GM Proving Ground size of just gigantic pavement and so we were able to do some really long radius corners and i would love to get on a big like a properly big skid pad yeah. where you could do you know 85 mile an hour circles would be phenomenal the things you could learn in an afternoon would be amazing yeah yeah totally agree so if anybody who's listening has access to an enormous enormous thing to do a skid pad on let's scott and i know we want to come play on it yeah and shoot we could have a if you want we'd have an event there easily yeah um another one um you know we did an episode on this last off season but always good to touch on it again is um this off season and this person talked about trying to gain control of his life again after the uh the race season and the lack of money the fatigue and everything like that. What do you think? What are you doing in the 
preparing in the off season? Yeah. I am an idiot. What did you sign <laughs> up for now? <laughs> Last weekend, um, my daughter and I did our first uh, observed trials event together. So I immediately jumped from competing in in one discipline, you know, two disciplines, um, agreeing to do one lap this year with our buddy Bob, to going, cool, here's another thing I would love to compete in. And um, the only advantage is I'm doing it on the, both of us are doing it on the electric trials bikes that we have. So you can just sort of roll those into the garage and plug them in and you're like, ta-da, I'm done. There's nothing to fix. There's nothing to do anything on them. Sounds so uh, yeah, my, my wife the other day is like, why would you buy a gas motorcycle if you can have those? I'm like, uh, you're right. But um, so I am approaching my off season by distracting myself from the things that I have been doing with new things. I don't know how that's going to work. I suspect badly. Um, but I got to meet a really interesting new group of people and try a thing that made me feel like I was bad at it. So. Sounds better. What right. are you doing? Um, well, part of the comment that was made in, in this same kind of question thought stream was that they felt like the actual racing season was so frenetic and so all-encompassing that, you know, by the time the off-season got here is just a complete letdown and definitely tired and burnt out and everything like that. And I'd, I'd encourage people to look at it like a cycle that you can do a thing for however long that you want to, and then you need the rest to go back and do that thing. Because you know during the rest you're going to be jittery. You're going to want to get back out there. So what I would suggest is that people build more downtime into the season. Now, I know that things happen as we experienced this year things come up that you don't plan and anticipate for but to plan intentionally time off during the regular season maybe it's a night one night in the week where you do not work on car stuff maybe it's this one particular month during the racing season um you're just going to take some time off, maybe work on the car, but you're just not going to go do any events. And especially for people in the great white north, especially Canada, but I mean, I'm in Michigan, it's almost it's almost up there. Basically Canada. You feel like you're wasting time, so you want to fit as much in as possible. And that is not sustainable. You just, you can't. You can't do as much as you possibly can for six or eight months if you're really going hard. Just, you got to pace yourself. But you have to because it's all going to go away. And then it comes back. I, 
<laughs> it's, I, I know, but that's that's the thing. Like, really zoom out. One one of the big things is I'm not sure how many people have a calendar, like just a physical calendar, like up on their fridge. I know you do. You've got kids. You've uh, yeah. You I write to. things down. I have um, a paper calendar and a pen. But mark down the events you're going to on something physical so that you can see the passage of time. <laughs> it's, it's a lot more important than uh, you may realize. And keep track of the days. You know, we, whenever we live our life one event to another, all the in-between stuff gets blurred. But like a lot of good stuff and a lot of rest and a lot of health can come out of that that is important to do as well. So um, something to, I don't know, maybe think about. I think you need to give yourself the off-season as something to look forward to. Yeah. Um, so it's a, a presence of something rather than the absence of something. Yeah, we talked about that on the track hangover right. thing too. Um, so... You know, the, the same way that when, when grid life schedule comes out, you immediately are like, this next year is going to be awesome. And so you, you, you sort of plan for that next year. You need to, to look at the negative space. We could do like architecture and design and stuff, right? Everything has positive space and negative space. Music, music yeah. And, and don't just look at the, the part of the calendar that contains all those grid life events. Look at the, the other part of the calendar and purposely put things in there such that you can look forward to that part of the calendar too. So you're not just looking forward to avoid a a blank, you know, four blank months on your calendar. You're actually looking to four months on your calendar that have things in them that you really truly want to do, that you really want to get done, that you, so you can sort of look forward to your whole life in phases. Um, it's kind of like having when when I lived in Michigan. It's it's like having a winter hobby and a summer hobby. And so sure. by the end of winter, you're like sick of skiing and ice climbing and being cold, and all you wanted to do is everything to melt so you can rock climb again. And by the end of of you know rock climbing, ride bikes, and by the end of summer, you've got no skin left on your fingers, and you're just you know sick of living in a minivan running around climbing and all you wanted to do is snow again so you can be warm in your bed and then wake up and go ski and then be warm in your bed again. And so you you create a positive season no matter what season it is. I like it. The last, it was kind of a question more of just like a brief topic um, was enabling versus encouraging at what point are we just enabling each other to do this stupid hobby? I think there's a massive misunderstanding of the word enabling. Okay. I think, I think true enabling is when you help provide something physical, some, some, some thing that another person is missing that enables them to participate in the stupid hobby that we're doing, whether that's like, uh, you know, the, all the grid life guys are, are the ultimate enablers in providing events, right? Like they give us a place to do this, but, um, there's, you know, loaning somebody a set of wheels that have semi worn out tires on them so they can make the event 
is is enabling. Um, helping somebody get their car ready so that they can make it the event is enabling. Um, volunteering instructor time so that somebody who's really kind of nervous about driving can make that step onto the track is is enabling. Um, there, there's a whole bunch of things that we physically do to to make it so that people can enjoy this hobby with us. That's enabling. Everything else is just encouraging. Telling you you should go, that's just encouraging. That's um, that doesn't carry the same weight. Doesn't have the same gravitas as like like physically doing the thing. Um, I've got a bunch of people. You've heard me do it on the show. Like if you can rustle up a set of leathers, or if you happen to be exactly my size, I have a spare set. I will put you on a motorcycle. I will drag one of my motorcycles out to the track and and we'll go ride. Like I will make this happen for you if you can have the safety gear to do it. Um, but I also encourage you to show up with your own motorcycle. Those are two different two different things. I think another term that I want to introduce is pressuring because kind of in your framework you know if we've got incur or uh, enabling is the actual physical manifestation of this there's a difference between encouraging and pressuring that i think a lot of people think of enabling as just being pressured you know a bunch of your friends saying no get your butt out into the garage go get the car put back together so you can come right and you know, all this stuff and and i think that can be harmful and it can be helpful. But like we said towards the top of the show, ultimately you cannot blame what you decide to do <laughs> on what anybody said on the internet. Or, yes. Or over text message. That tweet or that message or that DM, whatever it is, that got sent to you cannot make you walk out into your garage and turn a wrench. That is a decision that you alone get to make. And you can make whatever whatever decision you want to. If it's going to be a healthy one or one that you know is going to have consequences you still make that decision. So just weigh it before you you decide to do whatever it is that you end up doing. This is the whole you're the master of your own world thing, Scott. And that's it's hard to feel like that the, sometimes. The captain of my ship and the master of my domain. <laughs> yeah, but are you No. Um no, you're you're both drifting. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Just just me or like the, just the boat in general. There's drifting. There's breezes. Yeah. Currents. Currents. Yeah. yeah. Boat things. Yeah. Boat stuff. So that's. Yeah. One year. One year. It's um. It's been good, and something else we we did this this first year was we took a break, um, and. I can definitely see us doing that next year uh, during the the heavy season time. Again, trying to keep ourselves healthy over here. Um, but the other part is we had talked about having more guests on. 
but I think it was I think it was Jabay actually who early on said that once you start having guests on every week, then you have to have a guest every week. And despite the metrics and numbers and things like that that show us clearly that the interviews are a little more popular, we get it. We don't like listening <laughs> yeah. to ourselves sometimes either. Not really, no. Um, but these, we like talking, though. Yes, but these topics are important to us, and they right. may not be as popular. They may not, I don't know, grow our listenership, whatever that means. Um, but that they are, I feel like, at the real core of the show. Like they are what the show is, and the interviews are almost case studies for me. Like they're almost like, all right, let's look at this guy. Let's look at this woman. What's she doing that explains exactly why she does rally driving the way that she does? Yeah, I use them for perspective, completely for perspective. Yeah. Um, And so I I think the two need each other. And and we've kind of settled into this topic interview rhythm. And I, I think that's good. It's felt good. It's been a good year. Like I, I got, I got done with a year when I realized that we were at a year. I was like, I think this has been a worthwhile way to spend those whatever fifty hours of my life over the last year. More than that, for sure. More than that, probably closer to sixty or seventy. Okay, let's let's nitpick. That's a good idea. <laughs> Can I get some data on this? Yeah. Um Yeah. But I think it's I think it's been worthwhile. Um weirdly we've had other people tell us that us spending fifty or sixty hours of our life has been worthwhile to them. Yeah, and that's um, strange. And it is strange, but it's encouraging that if we do this for another year that it will continue to be valuable to the two of us and to whoever decides that listening to this is adds value to their lives. We are at track walking on Facebook and Instagram. Wait, no at track walking podcast on Facebook and Instagram track walking chats is the Facebook group. And, um, we've been doing this for a year. So that's kind of good. Thanks for sticking around or joining us, whichever. But for the two of us here, I'm Scott. And I'm Seth. We are track walking. One year. We'll do this. One year. Two for another year.